Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this uh, team here and just so grateful that you're here and hopefully this becomes a place uh, that you can uh, call home. We're in this uh, series uh, called Something Happened. And so for you guys, this is like a gift. Like, you know, people come on Easter and they flood in here on Easter and, and some people only come like just on Easter and just on Christmas. And so they get one Easter sermon. But this series is like really just a bunch of Easter sermons. And so um, you're getting like Easter every single Sunday right now. So um, I guess without the ice cream and everything else we'd normally do. But we're in this series uh, called Something Happened because uh, something happened. Like this thing that we do here and celebrate in church every single Sunday and this message we proclaim about Jesus uh, is either the greatest message of all time and uh, what we should center our lives around, which is what we just sang about, or this is really dumb. Seriously, like you, you should just go do something else on Sunday if Jesus isn't real, okay? And so, uh, so it's, we really only have those two options because like something happened. Something like happened. And, and I could give you a bunch of facts about uh, the resurrection and about what happened historically and in the Roman Empire and, and all these different things um, that are, are kind of historical facts and, and maybe try to convince you of certain facts. But um, here's what I know about facts. Uh, they don't change your heart. Something else has to happen within this. And so each week we're taking a look at that something shifted in people uh, when they encountered the risen Jesus. So there was something that happened and that, that in that something that happened, it can also happen for us and uh, in us. Some of your own personal stories are around um, not the facts about Jesus, but that something happened deep inside of your heart. When someone comes to like a full knowledge and reality of what Jesus means to them, um, they don't ever really say like, you know what I did? There were these seven facts that really like made sense to me. And, and no, they talk about this. Man, when I, when, I, when I face the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of my own life, something changed inside of me. And that's a whole different way to uh, approach our faith uh, rather than just going through um, facts. And um, here's the thing about facts. I, I was reading this study uh, that Stanford did, and they did this debate, and they had people, it was around the death penalty, and uh, they did this debate where uh, they had people who were for and against it, and they do this huge mock debate with all of these facts in it, and they go to people um, afterwards, and they said, here's the deal, guys, and they got their opinions on whether they were for or against it, and they all kind of doubled down their opinions, and they told everyone in the room, they said, here's the thing, this whole debate was, was fake, and even the facts that we stated, they weren't actually real. Not one person changed their mind. They were so passionate about what they, they believed. So, so even sometimes when we're presented facts, it doesn't actually change what we think it's going to change. That there's something else that needs to change in our hearts. When we look around the country right now, and people are like, if we just do this, it'll fix whatever that this is. And I'm like... At the end of the day, like some of those things can be helpful, but they're not going to change people's hearts. And that ultimately what has to happen is a, a change in our hearts. But here's what happens. Life does, right? Um, even in the story with the disciples, they had all the facts about Jesus, but he died. And when he died, uh, it, they, were, they, were, they had all these facts about him, but, but they all started to doubt. They all started to wonder. They all started to maybe even go their own way. And, and it became incredibly difficult for these disciples. They ended up living in fear. They were so close to Jesus. But then when he died, 
they immediately took a step back because the facts that they thought they knew about Jesus all of a sudden didn't play out as they thought. They had expectations. How many of you guys have had expectations in life that haven't worked out the way you thought? Wow, right? Like this is like the way this works. Like life happens. You had expectations in some kind of way. You thought you'd have some kind of job, some kind of man, some kind of woman, some kind of kid, uh, some kind of money, some kind of house, whatever it is. You thought you'd be perfectly healthy. You thought you'd still keep your hair. You thought all these different things, right? You had all these things in play and maybe the expectation didn't happen like you thought. And, And then it makes us wonder. It makes us be like question things and it makes us like, man, I expected my life to go a certain way, and it, and it didn't. You know, it's interesting, um, in the start of the Bible in Genesis, it, it, chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's, it's this creation story. It's this poem that uh, the writer writes and, and, and try to give us a picture about creation and this connection that not only we're supposed to have with, with the creation and this earth, but this connection with God and what it's supposed to look like. And in chapters 1 and 2, it's like this beautiful thing that's mapped out in front of us that should shape the way that we see the world around us. Well, Genesis 3 comes in and everything changes. And kind of how we talk about it, if you're not familiar with the Bible, how we talk about it is Genesis 3 comes in and and that's when sin comes into this world. Here's what I know about sin. What sin does is it impacts how we view ourselves, um, how we view the world around us, and how we view God. It it warps the view of, of everything. And what ends up happening is we're always searching for significance, we're searching for hope, we're, we're searching for purpose on this earth, and, and uh, when sin came in, it just rattled everything. I mean, even the most hardened person against Jesus, let's just say they're just a really just harsh atheist, right? Um, everyone admits there's something wrong with humanity. There's, there's something off. There's something that, that, that has to come in. It's like, man, it's just not quite right. And that's why we see all the evil that we see and everything. And then people have different exp- explanations. But with the way that we're talking about it is like sin came into this world. Well, the story goes through the rest of the Bible that, like, that God has entered into this with grace and forgiveness and that God in his justice and everything is going to come in and he's going to settle this and eventually with this Messiah. And so when sin ends up happening and the story ends up being told, it's like, man, you're left with wonder and you're left with um, searching and searching and searching. And sometimes we start searching in, in all the wrong things. How many guys have searched for purpose in the wrong thing at some point in your life? Yeah. And you might be in it right now. And what happens is we get these little glimpses of feeling like we have purpose, this, this glimpse of feeling like, oh, this, of significance, um, Back in 9-11, uh, when, I know not everyone in this room was, was born during this time, but 9-11, when that happened, this very historical moment, um, and you see this at different points throughout history and, and will continue to happen, where there's this rallying of people that feels like very significant and very purposeful, and it, and it fills your soul, right? Um, there was this moment at Yankee Stadium and George Bush comes out and he throws the first pitch. I don't know if you guys remember that point, right? It was just like... It was like the one good thing that's happened in Yankee Stadium. But like it's, it's this huge like pivotal moment where like people come together and it just felt right. It felt significant. It felt like there was so much purpose to that moment. And it felt like humanity was coming together. But man, how quickly it went away. And so we see it and we're searching for it. And, and listen, I, I, I say all of that because you're not alone in any of this. And what can cause is, is some doubt. You, you look at the world around you with all the expectations and you see all this evil. It's like it can cause doubt. And a lot of times what happens is 
when we get in this stage of doubt, people are like, you know what, if you, if you just commit to Jesus, if you, if you just do this, it, it'll make everything make sense. And I would say this, it makes some things make sense, but it doesn't necessarily take away your doubt sometimes. It doesn't make it easy. And so here, here's what I want you to, to just hear about, about doubt. Oh, let me go, actually go here first. In this, in this question, it says this. Is there anything in my life death cannot take? I know it's a really easy question to answer at 9.24 in the morning, right? But this is the reality of what we deal with in our humanity. This is a question that when you're searching for significance and purpose and, and, and wondering, like, why in the world am I here? And so th- this question is what actually shapes so much of our life, of our view. And be interesting, like, when people get so focused on work as their sole purpose in life, and work is a good thing, but death can take that away, right? And then you're left with nothing. Whether it's money, whatever the thing is, it's like, man, Is there anything in my life death cannot take away? And this becomes the question that we wrestle with. This becomes the death. And so when we talk about the death and resurrection, here's here's why it's so important. The resurrection answers this question. The reality of Jesus answers this question. And that's why it's like we've got to engage this Jesus thing. We've got to like figure out, like, is this something that's so significant? And here's the thing. Even in process and even as you start to engage, I'm telling you that even um, the most faithful people I know still have doubts. The most faithful people I know struggle. The most faithful people I know that can rest on the reality and the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus still wonder why things are the way they are sometimes. And that is Okay. And so I want you to just hear this too, that doubt doesn't mean you don't have faith. It probably means you're trying to add depth to it. I want you to feel comfortable doubting. I want you to feel comfortable having some space for that in your your life, in your worldview, and in kind of how you view your faith. Because the healthier you doubt, the healthier and deeper your faith will grow. And I'm I'm gonna talk about unhealthy doubt here in a second and then healthy doubt. But, But this is like, a piece that I just want you to feel and I want you to understand that it is okay uh, to doubt. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It probably, probably means that you're just trying to add depth to it because you're wrestling with something which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Some of you guys in this room that maybe have grown up in church um, have probably been in spaces where they made you feel bad if you doubted and questioned or whatever it is, you know, and, and wondered. But I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing to, to doubt and to doubt well. And uh, so we want to talk about that today. And so one of the people that um, encountered Jesus, uh, the risen Jesus, uh, was this guy named Thomas. And for those of you familiar with your Bible, like what's he known as? Doubting, Doubting Thomas, which is so unfortunate, right? That poor man, like we're going to get in heaven, we're going to see Thomas. We're going to be like, oh, you're doubting Thomas. He's going to be like, stop. Like, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here, right? So... But there's this doubting Thomas, which is, is really unfortunate. And you're going to see why um, he kind of got that moniker uh, here in just a second. But Thomas, actually, his life is pretty fascinating. Um, 
he, uh, later on, he goes to China, he goes to India, as the kind of legend holds, and eventually uh, gives up his life for this reality of proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. All right, so this, he starts churches. He, I mean, he is a pillar in our faith, okay? So the fact that he's called Doubting Thomas is, I mean, it stinks for him. But, but here's the thing. Thomas was, I mean, he was a man who was like passionate about the reality of Jesus, okay? So I want you to see a couple of things about Thomas. In John chapter 11, verse 16, says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. All right, so hear him say this. Jesus had just gotten done um, sharing with them that he's going back to meet his friend Lazarus. And people in Jerusalem had just gone after him. They were trying to kill him. And, and Jesus is like, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, no, like, you can't go back to Jerusalem. And, and Thomas steps forward. And look at that line he says. He goes, let us also go so that me, we may die with him. All right, now, I want to tell you a little bit of something about, remember on Easter, I, for those of you that were here, I, I showed those pictures of Peter, like as the rock and how in my brain, I think of him as Maui from Moana, right? And so um, about 12 years ago, I told a joke about Didymus or Thomas. Um, this is when P. Diddy and Puff Daddy, if, for those of you that know him, I know some of you guys are too dang young, but... I told a below-average joke that his friends called him T. Diddy because he was t- Didymus, right? And, but since that point forever, I'm just giving you a window into my brain here, guys. Um, <laughs> since that point, this is how I literally picture Thomas. It's just like <laughs> on both disciples, I just picture him as Diddy like his whole life. So anyway, but here's the thing about Thomas. Let me just get off that. Um, here's the thing about Thomas. He was passionate. He was someone who was willing to step forward when Jesus was in trouble and all the other guys were like, ah, you shouldn't do it. He's like, you know what? Forget that. We're going with him. That we may die with him. Like that's the kind of passion and heart Thomas had, right? He, he's the guy, he's like, man, I'm ready to throw hands. I'm ready to do whatever needs to be done because I'm gonna be with Jesus in this moment. So the passion that he had was, was just incredible. And that plays out in his life with his boldness and his courage. Um, Thomas also, in John chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus has got, um, is telling these guys about um, that he's going to leave, he's going to come back. And, but there's this curiosity to Thomas. And so Jesus is, is teaching these disciples and, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to die, I'm going to come back. And, and Thomas says to him, but Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? That there was something inside of him. It's like, I want to follow this way but how do we know the way? Like, what, what is it? And there's this curiosity about it and trying to figure it out. And there's, so there's this passion, there's this curiosity that's, that's ingrained in who Thomas is. So my hope is, is that when we see like, oh, all right, this is kind of the, the crux of who Thomas is and then the core of his being. So he's one of the most um, passionate and, and committed followers of Jesus. Man, when Jesus dies, even that passion, that commitment, and that um, discipline that he had with him and everything, it's like, it gets flustered. He gets flustered in the midst of all of the facts he knew about Jesus, but there was still something that needed to change in Thomas. And so here's a story with Thomas that people typically talk about in John chapter 20. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, let's look at this, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he's got these friends. And maybe some of you guys have been in this scenario. 
You've got friends who keep trying to convince you of this Jesus thing. You've got friends who've invited you to church and maybe this is part of like your story right now. You've got friends who've like done all these things and you're like, I'm telling you about this Jesus, I'm telling you about this Jesus and you're, and you're kind of in this place of like, yeah, but until I really experience it, I'm not going to believe. Some of you parents in the room who have kids that maybe have gone away from the faith right now. That happens, what, when they try to figure out their own faith. You might have raised them right and put them in the right scenarios and everything, but at some point in time, they, just like you, have to figure out their faith and their own faith. And in that, it's like, you can say all you want about what they, you hope that they will believe, but it really isn't until like, they have this big heart change and, and face the reality of who Jesus is that they come to an actual core belief, right? That's part of my story. It's probably a lot of your stories in the room. And so we begin to see, like, even in, in Thomas, this is what, what happens. He's like, man, until I see it, I'm just not in. So, so I'm going to doubt, like, what you guys are saying. Can you imagine, though, these guys are like, no, no, no. He rose from the dead. We saw him. And Thomas is like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll find out, too. And, and so you, you begin to see, it's like, uh, to actually experience the reality of Jesus is what keeps us in the right kind of place. You see, Thomas just hadn't done it yet. He hadn't done it yet. And so with that, he had this kind of skepticism about him. And, and listen, when you, when you hear me say something like, it's, it's okay to be skeptical, it's okay to doubt, um, on the front end, on the front end, that could be really difficult because you want everything to be certain, right? You want everything to just like, be nice and easy. You want, you want to stack your cards of faith nice and easy, and you don't want me to come over here and just go, right? Because it's like, man, you pull that one card and everything comes tumbling down. And it's like, no, 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 no. I want you to build a stronger foundation that can withstand a question here and there, okay? And so, so it's like, no, it, it, but it feels like hard to hear that thing because you just want to be right. How many of you guys like being right? Yeah, Right? It feels good to be right. It feels good to be certain. It feels good. But here's the problem with that. That's not actually what we see in Scripture a lot. Some of the, most, the, some of the pillars in the Bible, they, they doubted. They had um, questions. They wondered. They didn't exactly follow like 100%. You guys may have heard the name Abraham. And people are like, like, be like Abraham. He's so faithful. And it's like, yeah, he was. But at the same time, he had his doubts about God. I mean, like, after God makes all these huge promises to him, like Abraham lies about his wife Sarah and says it's his sister and like gets a whole bunch of people in trouble. And so you can see like even in some of these pillars of faith, it's like, no, there was some doubt there. There were some things like happening. And so it's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to, to wonder. And here's the thing, the majority of the time in your skepticism and in your doubt, you probably have a good reason for it. Like sometimes, you know, it's interesting when I, I look at, uh, when I look at social media and people doubting or people saying things about Christianity and, and all that, and, and you see like a lot of the time, and I really mean most of the time, they have very good reasons to doubt. They have very good reasons to be skeptical. Um, I mean, think about it. In, in this room, how many of you guys have been around a, a Christian who's not great to be around? How many of you have been that Christian? Yeah, Right? So, so get that. We've all been around it, and we've all been people who've probably caused skepticism towards other people. We've all been people who have caused doubt, right? Been like, mm, 
if you're that kind of Christian, I don't know that I want to be a Christian. If, if following Jesus is like how you are, I'm not sure I want that. Now, we don't like to think about ourselves that way, but the reality is, is we've all been those people at one time or another. And so we started saying like, man, you know, okay, when someone goes through deep suffering and deep pain and, and deep wonder, it's like, you get it. Um, some of you guys in this room have experienced really bad church trauma, right? And it's like, and you get it. Like, I've heard some of your stories where you've been like, man, I was like so hesitant to come in. I was so hesitant to trust. I was so hesitant. And, and I get it. Like, I totally get it. It makes sense. And so even in the midst of doubt, it's like, let's embrace the reality that doubt can actually be a really good thing. That the skepticism can actually lead you to something uh, really deep. And, and it's important to begin to engage it in the right way. See, Thomas was honest about his doubt. He was honest about his skepticism. There was a truthfulness to how he was engaging. There was a desire for him to, to want to believe in Jesus, right? He's like, that's cool, you guys believe, but like until I see it, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go off just what you're saying. I want to experience the reality of Jesus. He was being honest uh, about that in himself. And so let me just highlight two ways that are actually, un it can be unhealthy uh, to doubt. The first way is this, without Jesus. If you doubt without Jesus, you won't get Jesus. So, Feel free to question, <laughs> feel free to ask, feel free to engage, but, but if your doubts actually aren't leading you to want to discover the reality of Jesus, it's probable that you're just trying to discover yourself and what you want to do. There have been times I've sat with people like, man, I'm doubting everything about my faith. I'm like, okay, like tease that out for me a little bit. What does that look like? And sometimes in the conversation, I'm realizing, oh, you just don't, you've just gotten lazy in your faith. Or you actually don't want to engage your faith in saying that you're doubting or deconstructing is just an easy, easy phrase to use. There's a beauty in deconstruction. I mean, a beauty in it when it's done the right way. But if you do it without Jesus, you're never going to get Jesus because that's not actually your desire. Another part is when we're avoiding being uncomfortable. When we're avoiding being uncomfortable. So in our doubts, we have to like pause for a second and be like, Am I saying I'm doubting or skeptical because if I believe what this says, it makes you really uncomfortable with my own choices. And so I'd rather just avoid all of it rather than engage the reality of what might be true. We've all done this, and, and this happens in so many different forms and, and fashion. And, and it can be, even sometimes people would rather, um, and maybe you felt this, people would rather like ignore the reality of scripture than make someone mad, Right? And what, so you're like avoiding those uncomfortable conversations or you're avoiding engaging things uh, in the right way. And so a lot of times, you know, I, like I'm all for questioning everything. I actually love it. And, um, but here's the thing. When I say I'm willing to question everything, I really mean like everything. Not just things in the Bible. Like I, I love to question everything outside of the Bible too. Right now we, we live in a world where you can question some things. Like let's question everything about Jesus. But like, they won't question everything about Buddhism. Or let's question everything about, like, the Bible, but it's like you won't question the political movement that you love so much. Or the sexual movement or whatever. It's like, it's like these things are off. Don't question any of those things, right? But question everything over here that's about Jesus or about everything. And so it's an interesting dynamic that we live in. It's like, no, I'm willing to question everything, but let's question everything. Let's really do it. 
Um, one of the uh, pastors that I listened to, he played this game with this kid, that I, kid both kids, they're now older, um, that I just loved when I heard him share it. He, he said he used to play, his, um, anytime they watched a movie or read an article or watched a TV show, um, they would play the game, Where's the Lie? As a way to kind of shape in them, hey, there's probably a lie that's being told in this movie. Where is it? And trying to like be able to like have his kids look at what's happening around them and be able to discover where's the lie. And I think we need to get really good at that. If we're followers of Jesus, it's like understanding like where's the lie in what's being told to us? Where, where's the lie? Because again, we're searching for purpose and hope and significance and all these things. And, and the world around us is always going to throw these messages at us. But, but where is the lie in all of it? And then where do we begin to discover the truth? And so here's a good question to ask yourself. Does this go along with what Jesus taught? So as you're looking at some of these things and having these conversations and you're um, wondering and, and maybe just start questioning like different things you're involved in or maybe your perspectives. And one of the most valuable questions we can ask is like, does this actually go along with what Jesus taught? That should be the starting point. So we get in fights about stuff all the time. People debate stuff all the time. Can you imagine if everyone, I, I know some people don't believe in Jesus, but from a Christian standpoint, if you just took a breath for a second and just said, does this go along with what Jesus taught? And, and you start there. So that as we engage our doubts and our questions and everything, if we say this first, we're going to keep wanting to reorient back to Jesus. And that's what becomes so important. So the story continues with, with Thomas. It says this, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So Thomas is still hanging around, right? He's putting himself in a good position. He's like, I know you guys believe, but I still haven't seen Jesus yet, and it's been, it's been a week, so, uh, but I'm still here, and I'm still wondering. He's like, Thomas was with them, and then the doors were locked. I'm going to pause there. It's interesting that the disciples um, have just seen the risen Jesus. So you would think on the front end that they would just be all in on everything, ready to go, right? We just saw the risen Jesus. Like, he died and he rose again. Like, we were just with him. Like, we're, we're, we're down for whatever. They would be living with the most freedom, but here they are in their, like, their doors are locked. And they were locked because they were still fearful a little bit of what was going on. They were in process. Um, every person in this room is in process, Okay, so if you think you came in here today just nailing this whole Jesus thing. Like you came in, you were just pumped. You're like, man, I love Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. And like, I've been doing this thing for a while now. I'm at a 10 with Jesus. I'm just telling you, you are still in process. You are still in process. Every person in this room is in process. Those disciples in that moment, they locked the door. You know why? Because they were still in process. Trying to figure it out. It took a little bit of time for them. For some of them, it took a long time after this. But they were still in process. When I was thinking about process, I wrote this down. The only people who don't appreciate process are those who think they've fully arrived. And so, um, there have been times where I sit with people who, who don't appreciate uh, the process of people and they become very legalistic or condemning or judging towards people. And it's so off-putting, right? I'm not saying we, we like let things go that could hurt people or like there are things that we have to address. Like we, we stand firm in what the Bible talks about. But it's like we also have to appreciate the process that people are, are in. 
Um, the disciples, uh, even in one of the passages that Shaq referenced last week, I mean, look at this, in Matthew 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So Jesus come back to them, he's talked with them, he's, he's eaten with them, he's telling them to go. It's like, when they saw him, they what? And then, but some what? Huh. The risen Jesus has been around them, has talked to them, has like asked them to go, and it's like, so they're like, we're worshiping the reality of Jesus. Like, it's like almost like you got, you know, their eyes are closed, but then one like opens. Because they're like, yes, I think, right? There's still this wonder. There, there's still, so it's like possible to have like this cognitive thing going on while also worshiping. I know that like the tension in that and the nuance in that and everything just doesn't fit into our nice little box that we like to make our faith about. We have to appreciate the process. We have to appreciate what's happening. We have to appreciate all these things. The story continues. It says, Jesus came and stood among them. So the, the doors were locked, right? And then Jesus comes and stands among them and said, peace be with you. So think about this. Somehow he got through the locked door, which is like an element where you just can't imagine like that, at that point in time, Thomas is like, all right, I get it. I get it, Right? So Jesus comes through and he says, peace be with you. And then he says, he calls to Thomas. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now look what Jesus does here. This is how Jesus responds to his skepticism. First, he calls him out by name. And I want you to hear this. You may have doubted Jesus. You may be doubting Jesus. But at some point in time, for those of you who are following Jesus, you realize he was calling you out by name. Part of my story, um, when I got to the lowest of lows in my story, and I was on my knees um, after throwing up after an all-night drinking binge and um, wondering, is this really what my life is about? I had this overwhelming feeling of Jesus calling me by name. Some of you guys have been ignoring that reality. But Jesus has been trying to call you out by name. And he's doing that because he wants to be in relationship with you so that your story begins to take shape the way he wants it to take shape rather than the story you're trying to write the story that has made you feel empty, the story that has made you lack significance and purpose. What Jesus is doing, and this is what he does with Thomas. Thomas, come here. Come here. And that's what he's saying to you. That's what he said to me. To, to come here, and here's what he's saying to, to Thomas. Come and experience me. To come, and it's like, come experience the reality of who I am. And then let's see what happens with your doubt. Then let's see what happens with your skeptic. Come and experience, experience me. In Psalms, it talks about to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? To experience me. And, and that's the thing that I think sometimes we get a little hesitant with in our communities. Maybe the reason that we get so hesitant when we're sharing our faith is because the reality is, is we're supposed to say to people, come and taste and see the reality of Jesus. But that means they have to also come and taste and see us. So sometimes we're like, we'd rather be judgmental and condemning because that keeps them away. But see, when, you, when you're a real 
faith community, when you're really about this whole Jesus thing, you're welcoming in people and their doubts and fears and process and everything. And like, yeah, come and taste and see. We are tasting and experiencing the reality of Jesus together. And you would be saying like, yeah, but wags, man, that's going to bring some like funky people here. You're already here. So like, and I'm already here. So like, we passed that line a long time ago, okay? But that's the heart of where we're supposed to be. And when you're able to do that, here's what, what ends up happening. Jesus is asking Thomas to trust him in the reality of experiencing him. And this is why we fight so hard to make our church a trustworthy place. Because people come with doubts and skepticism and fears and stories and suffering and pain and all those other things. And it's like, yeah, but, but what if we could trust? What if we could build something? What if we could have that kind of communion, that kind of heart to be able to say, yeah, come and taste and see the reality and experience the reality and the truth of Jesus. And we'll do this together. So I want to highlight a couple of things here. Oh, let me just say this. I saw this quote too. When we begin to trust the reality of Jesus and experience the reality of Jesus, we are longing for the presence of Jesus. This morning, I, I sat in the back um, as the band was warming up, and this was my simple prayer. God, I pray that people will walk in with an expectation to experience your presence. If that's the band's heart, the worship and their singing comes out differently. If that's my heart, it comes out differently. If that's your heart, it come, it's received and experienced differently. The longing in my heart is not for more facts. The longing in my heart is to experience Jesus. And that should be like the deepest desire. And I saw this quote by Henry Now. He said, getting answers to my questions is not the goal of the spiritual life. And listen, I love fun facts. Like you guys have heard me teach. Like I love those little fun facts. I love them. But living in the presence of God is the greater call. That's what it is. And so I want to give you a few quick keys on healthy skepticism. First, you do it in community. You do not do it alone. We do it in community. It's why we talk about discipleship so much here. You, you wrestle with things in community. You, um, uh, you, you figure out with, with people, different people's perspectives. It's wonderful to do it. You do it in community, okay? Doing it alone, you might be able to do a piece of it alone, but you do it in community. You flesh things out uh, in community. Use the Bible. Too often what's happening right now in all these cultural conversations is we're letting the worldly narrative deconstruct the Bible rather than the Bible deconstruct worldly narratives. I get it that non-Christians do it, but if you utter the words, I follow Jesus, then you use the Bible and the Spirit of God to deconstruct narratives. That's the way it works. So um, use a, a Bible. Um, the third thing, and we sang about this earlier, keep it Jesus-centered. Keep it Jesus-centered. So if we stay in community, we use a Bible, we keep everything Jesus-centered, we'll have this healthy doubt and this healthy exchange and eventually uh, a really healthy faith. Here's how the story for Thomas ends. Thomas says to him, and this is one of the most powerful things anyone can ever say, my Lord and my God. That phrase 
shapes everything. Not some things, everything. If you've ever said this phrase, what you're proclaiming is this reality. I'm willing to surrender, to be obedient to the realities of who Jesus is. I believe in the truth that he died and that he rose again and that really only through him is this only way to overcome sin, the only way to, to figure out my own purpose and significance in life. Death can take away everything else. Death cannot take this away. The reality of this. The greatest thing that you can ever do and that I can ever do is be willing to change. But to see a heart level change is only going to come when we're willing to be wide open to the realities and the truth of Jesus. Yes, you will be in process. Yes, you will have questions. Yes, you will have doubts. Yes, you will struggle. All of those things. Like, we're in for all of those things. But it starts with my Lord and my God. Band, you guys can come back up. We're, we're about to sing about the truth and realities of this. We sing a song like Firm Foundation. We're, we're singing about some of the realities of like, even though the, the world around us may fail, even though the things feel like they're out of control, it's like God will never fail you. Even though your doubts may come, God will never fail you. He won't do it. The rain will come, right? But man, he won't fail you. And so here's what I want you to do this morning. I just ask you to bow your heads and I just want you to process here for a second. I want to give you two things to just think about. One is am I willing to change? If we're all in process, then we all need to have the humility and the willingness to change. And then two, do I really mean it or have I ever even said my Lord and my God when it comes to Jesus? And I just want you to think about that phrase, my Lord and my God, and how that can reshape everything for you. Because maybe you've, you're in this room and you might have said that phrase a while ago, but it really hasn't, your heart's been far from it. And you've come desensitized. Jesus is calling you by name to come and experience the truth of who he is. And maybe you're here, you've never said it. I just want to put this in front of you I hope it's today, but Jesus is calling you by name to experience the reality of who he is. So before we sing, I just want us to let this marinate for a second. Before we sing about this firm foundation and the truth of who he is.